Welcome to the Oakrides podcast, In The Frame. This series is about any question that you may have regarding self-build, the self-build industry, and how oak framing fits within that experience. This is episode one, and today we're going to talk about the history of oak framing and the self-build industry and how they intertwine together. And I have with me Bill Keir, who I've worked with for over 19 years. Every break I just went inside and went, wow, look at this place, it's fantastic. I knew that I wanted to do something different and I'd been going to college in the evenings learning my carpentry and then suddenly one day I thought, well, why don't I become a carpenter? Everything I want to do, Tim Crump ends up doing and I don't. So why don't I just go and work for him? So, Bill, welcome. I think between the two of us, We've got probably, I've been oak framing with oak rights for 22 years. And I think uh, before that, I was um, an oak framing carpenter for at least eight years. So if I say all, all together, I've been making oak frames or working with oak frame for 30 years. And you've been how many years? Very, very similar. I started out, I discovered my first oak frame building. And it was a green oak frame building when I was working as a carpenter in the um, in the Hamptons, Long Island, New York, which is an exceptionally expensive place. And we were building exceptionally expensive houses for exceptionally wealthy people. But this one was a uh, timber peg. And although we were putting the roof on it, shingling the roof, every break I just went inside and went, wow, look at this place, it's fantastic. I'd never come across it, no idea. In fact, for the next five years, I thought that's what they were called, timber pegs. Not oak frames. <laughs> so that would have been American white oak? Would that have been American yes, white Yes, it was American white oak. Okay. Amazing. And what year? When, when would that have been? That was Christmas 1985. Was it? I think then, well, I would have been probably embarking upon my construction career. And I, at the time, I probably didn't even know what an oak frame was. Or I probably didn't actually know what the, what the self-build market was. I was just a carpenter who yeah. wanted to go out there and, and, and work with timber. Well, I came back to England because my fiancé was getting a bit upset and uh, tried to find something similar to do in the UK and drifted back into conservation work because it was the nearest thing that was interesting. And I hadn't come across anyone building new build oak frames. In 1988, I moved to work for a company in Wiltshire and they started building green oak frame barns, and that was the uh, that was the start of it all, really. I think I can remember seeing uh, on on the Grand Designs program Kevin McLeod and the and there was a, an oak frame barn which I think you might have been involved with on 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 that program. Yeah. That's where I sort of first noticed an oak frame barn or started to understand really what the what the self build market was was about. Yes, I mean it was it went completely nuts to a certain extent, and Kevin McLeod was very famously quoted as saying. If you never saw another green oak frame, it wouldn't be any. It wouldn't be too soon. So that was that was where you started, and and uh, my career started off as as a general carpenter, but based here in Herefordshire. One of our jobs, along with the general carpentry, was going out to the old cottages and houses where the the sole plate with no uh, damp proof membrane and not very good foundations would have rotted away. So we would jack the buildings up take the sole plate out, repair. So so conservation, really. And I can always remember that uh, uh, a, a gentleman called Nick Price um, was working in a barn next to where we had our yard, and he was making green oak frames. And it was a very cold winter. And uh, I said to him, why don't you come and work in our buildings, or, or we can you come and 
into the office and do some work for us rather than be out there in the freezing cold. I'd assessed that he was a, a very clever chap and he, he resisted. Nick carried on making his oak frame in the, in the freezing cold. But eventually, I think the, the cold got the better of him, and he came in to to, to the office and, and to work with us in the offices. We were we were doing conservation work, um, and um, it was there really. Was, that was my first introduction to green oak frame. Seeing Nick making a green oak frame in the barns next door to where we were based. Well, all that we know about building green oak frames, we've learnt from repairing the old ones. And the great thing about that is that it's generally. The ones that were best built are the ones that survived, and the ones that weren't built very well have um, been knocked down or burnt or whatever. So we've, we we were lucky to have that experience because we've done it. Yes. I can remember being over in a Door Abbey here in Herefordshire, and up in, we were looking at doing some repairs, stonework repairs actually at the time, on the building and going up into the attic space and above the church right in the top and seeing the framework of the, of the oak frame that would carry the roof and I, I reached up and there was an oak peg and, and actually the peg was loose and I gently extracted the peg out from the joint I looked at that and holding that peg in my hand I can remember thinking wow that you know this is probably three four hundred years ago the carpenter who made this frame drove that peg into that joint and we are still here today making oak frames and holding them together with that with that oak peg. It's a wonderful feeling. Well, that's a great part of my motivation to want to be involved in it is, um, you know, I was a slightly arrogant young man when I was building my dry stone walls in Cumbria and saying, I'm not going to do anything that doesn't last at least 120 years because it's a waste of my precious time. But actually, oak frames are perfect for that because so many of them are so old and have lasted so well. It's a very durable material. And the fact that it lasts so long and locking up all that carbon is one of the things that makes it an ecologically sound way of building. Could, can, you remember the, can you remember the first house you worked on for a customer? Can you remember the first house that you built um, back in the dim and distant past? I can remember. I can remember mine, and the, and the one on the way to Ledbury, which is a, a little town in Herefordshire. There's a cottage on the right-hand side, and it was a, a friend of a friend's actually rang, said, "Look, I understand you're you're working with oak, and would you build an, an extension onto our cottage?" And that that extension, twenty-two years later, is is still there, and that was the first building that I worked on making an oak frame. For, for you know, for for a house, and, and that was, I suppose, an introduction started to be rather than the conservation side into building new buildings or new structures for people, which was my sort of introduction into the self-build yeah. market. Well, my first green oak frame was a, uh, a boathouse for an architect called Roderick James, who's quite well known in the green oak frame circles. Yeah. But I can remember a story you telling me, well, not a story, just saying that one of the secrets of your early success was that you, took, you had what no other tradesman ever seems to have, is a dustpan and brush in your van. And he used to clean up after you. And that is pretty, it's nothing, nothing to be proud of, but it's, it's not particularly common. 
Well, there is a little bit of a story behind that, actually, because uh, before I, I, I took to carpentry, I'd, I'd done carpentry at school. I loved the carpentry. And then I did carpentry in the evenings at college, making things at a college course. But I actually set up after I left a cleaning business. So I, I do have a little bit of a thing about cleaning. And it was only then that I sort of knew that I wanted to do something different. And I'd been going to college in the evenings, learning my carpentry. And then suddenly one day I thought, well, why don't I become a carpenter? And that's that's how my career started. The thing about the dustpan and brush thing was it was completely, I was sort of going, wow. Because my building career, which goes back even longer than I'd like to admit, is based around usually working outside or on projects that are under construction or being repaired. I'd never, very seldom ever got to work inside someone's house. And I think instinctively, I'd have probably cleared up after myself because I hate what people do when they're working for me. And you wouldn't want to be rude about electricians and plumbers, but you know, the debris is quite astounding and it, it's sort of, it, and it's not like they're bad people or anything, they're just, that's not in the habit. So what Tim was saying was a very early indicator of his attention to customer service. And that was compounded because I was um, running a, a rival company that had been established again a lot longer and the culture in our company and it wasn't from any lack of respect or um, or um, arrogance I'd like to think but we made customers come to us and if they wanted to visit and have an, an appointment we not only made them come to us we made them drive all the way down to Dartmouth in Devon to come and have a consultation and stuff like that and then we were noticing that we were getting inquiries and we'd phone the people up, usually about two weeks after the inquiry had come in and found that Tim Crump had been there the next day and signed them up. It was, uh, And I had to ring, ring him up and go, what's going on? Well, <laughs> you're it, visiting people. I think when you're starting out, you have to make the effort, don't you? But it always, uh, the, to try, I think, we've always felt that to go and visit the customer, actually go and look at the site and see where the house is going to go is important that does give people um, a feeling of confidence I think about you you, you you go visit the site have a look at the plot look at the orientation where the house is going to go and how things are going to work now back in those days in all fairness the plans had normally been drawn by normally by somebody else um, and it was only after a while that we started to produce drawings ourselves for the projects so we, it went on we started to see customers and then we found that we, we felt that we would need to carry out the design work and and it was then that we also started to see that there were these shows there were self-build shows and, and we thought well we, we need to go perhaps and um, go to a show so I always remember the very first show and I, I think it was up at the NEC and we we set two little stands up one with a, a traditional oak frame with infill panels and one with what we call a post and beam frame and and that was my first taste of uh, a self-build show and that was many, many years ago. And there have been many, many shows have gone through, we've been to since. And I think probably now or before the, before the lockdown, because we are in 2021 at the moment, before the lockdown, we would be doing about 12 shows plus a year. Um, but that was, that was back in the day. That was how we would go to the show. We would advertise a small little quarter page ad in the in the magazines, and then we would uh, people would 
talk to us. I would go out to visit the site. Now, there was a reason why I'd go and visit the site was because at the time we were based on a farm and I always remember that on the farm we were based where we built the oak frames, it was we were okay while we were in the building, but once you went outside the building, there was so much mud and where we had to go and get the oak in the forklift, we seemed to spend more time pulling the forklift out of the mud than we did actually building the oak frames. So it was better for me to get in the car, drive down to Kent or wherever to go and see a customer rather than come and visit us and see our barn with mud up to your knees, which was not a great idea. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I totally get that. But at the time, I remember being feeling very peeved about the fact that you were cheating by going to see people. Oh. <laughs> Funnily enough, we had exactly the same issues with the mud. If you wanted to go from the office building across to the canteen building where the loos were, you had to walk on the duckboards. It was like being in, in the Somme. And I can remember visiting your yard with you and uh, seeing exactly the same conditions, everyone wearing wellies. It's, you know, you look back in it now, look at the facilities we have now, and it's just completely bonkers. And the one thing I think, thinking back to how we started and where we are, so this, this talk is about oak framing within the, within the self-build industry and, and where did it start and how, how have we ended up where we are supplying the product that we do to the self-build industry and I think the one thing that we had in common we used to talk to each other I would tend to talk to anybody at any company and have a chat we're all in the same type of business of making oak frames it's always interesting to talk to people but the one thing I always remember we had in common really were, were tools oh. I've always yes <laughs> I've, I've always had a great love of tools and right from the very early day I remember the, the little Makita nine volt battery drill the the very first one I got that little rectangular battery and think well that was great but then thinking well actually if you had two of them you could have your drill bit in one and your screwdriver in the other and 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 it just built up and a love of tools I love any tool that that would make the the job easier and that uh went on i think you you have a great tool collection I as have well two of those makita drills you just and i can tell you exactly where they are possibly as, as part of a collection that could be between 50 and 80 electric drills majority of them dating from the 50s and 60s it has to be said bill does have an amazing collection of tools but as we went on and and business for oakright started to grow um with nick and i they're working away um I remember we orders started to come in and we'd always say we will build an oak frame and we'll get the oak frame to you within about six months. And I had been on a trip. We'd also been looking at SIP panels back in the day. And that started my discovery of SIP panels started by a customer up in Scotland requesting a post and beam frame. And right at that time, I thought post and beam, I understood infill panels i understood the traditional english style oak frame as we know it but a post and beam and it was an american style of framing and i thought i really don't understand this so i i took myself off on a on a trip to america to go and visit some companies and um, one of them was ted benson up in new hampshire but then i trundled on to another company and as I was being shown around the workshops, I remember seeing this machine in the back. Was said, we'll show you the machine that we build the frames on. And it was called a Hundegger. And I looked at this machine making the oak frame. I thought, wow, that, that is amazing. But we probably won't ever need one of those. And uh, while I was there, I saw the SIP panels being manufactured. And we were going to bring SIP panels from America. 
the very first time we brought SIP panels from America to the UK. Um, and because they, they just didn't exist here. And uh, I came home. Oh, no, while I was there, I also, they had basements. They're building prefabricated basements. All the walls were prefabricated. So this is amazing. So we've got these prefabricated basements. We've got this post and beam frame going on top. And then we've got the SIP panels wrapping around the outside. But on that trip, I'd seen the Hundegger. Anyway, go on a, 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 a sort of six months or a year and suddenly orders were coming in. I thought, my goodness, you know, we, we are not going to be able to get our oak frames built within six months. In fact, I think we might be lucky to get them built within 18 months. I thought, we, we have a challenge, we have a problem. How are we going to resolve this? There's got to be a way mechanically that we can help to improve the quality of the product that we're building and speed up the, the, the process. And I, I thought back to this um, machine that I'd seen, the Hundegger. So I rang the company, said, well, can you give me some contact details? And gave me the contact details in Germany. And I remember with Nick Price going over to Germany, taking over the most complicated joint we could find where the jowl post joins the wall plate and the tie beam. And I thought, well, if this machine can make this joint, then I think we could, we could work with this machine. But I always remember there was one there was one little thing that in my mind I we always talk in cubic feet of oak, and when I was talking to the Americans, they were talking about how I said, well, how many how many foot does it make? How many can you build? And they said, oh, it'll make a you know two thousand feet a, a, a week or three thousand feet a week. This is just incredible. I thought, but they were talking board feet. I was talking in cubic feet. So there, there are 12 board feet to one cubic foot, and there are 37 cubic feet to one cubic meter. So now we're dealing, you have to be trilingual in order to discuss timber. Absolutely. Because then you have hopper's feet as well, if you really want to get diverted into the weeds. And that's hopper's feet is how you measure a tree in the round if you're a timber merchant or a, or a forester. Well, you can get that out. Absolutely. So, well, well, I didn't work it out. And anyway, we went on. We bought our first Hundego, which would be probably 19 years ago now. So we had the Hundego delivered. And I always remember we had a, a software delivered. We had a, the Deertrick software is what we work on to work to make the machine files to go onto the machine. And we started making our oak frames for our customers. And it was a disaster to start off with. What we were actually, the very first frame we made, we had the tolerances so tight, it was like a piece of joinery, which was great in the workshop. When we got to site in Scotland, of all places, we could hardly get the frame together. It was so, there was no tolerance on the joints whatsoever. And, um, and but it went on. We, we created a, a, a mammoth pile of firewood, but we got there. We gently worked our way through. And as time went on, we became much more competent at working with the with the Hundegger, and and now they are the backbone of our business. We have lots of carpenters working for us, more carpenters now than we ever had, doing all the curved work and the scribing work, which is the the complicated and really skilled part. But the Hundeggers do do all the compound work um, and all the all the general joints. The grunt. The grunt. As, the grunt work, yes. As our carpenters call it. Absolutely. Bizarrely, it was the very same machine that Tim saw that sparked my interest in it. And when he went to um, Ted Benson's Benson Woodworking, it was being run at the time by one of my very best friends. And he had made this a big issue. He made a big fuss about it and they got it. And they went through a very similar sort of learning curve on it. So I came back to 
England sat down with my board and said, I want to do this. The two guys that owned the company weren't convinced. So I was tasked with producing various business plans to prove that it was going to work. And in the end, we were bizarrely, Tim and I, and along with a, another chap who owns an oak framing company down in Somerset, were at a um, one of those big trade fairs in Germany, and we're sitting in the Hundegger beer garden, and they are treating us like royalty. And eventually, having sat there for quite a while, we got, got the truth out of Tim that he had commissioned and placed an order. That was a fun trip. <laughs> I was very jealous. The other chap was appalled. And it wasn't that long afterwards where I just thought, you know, I keep having these great ideas about SIP panels, which I'd encountered on another trip to America in 1990, when I was actually did the 12 weeks working over there. And I think everything I want to do, Tim Crump ends up doing, and I don't. So why don't I just go and work for him? And I was thinking about this, and then not long afterwards, completely out of the blue, I was walking down to the pub with my brother on Boxing Day. I say it was about Christmas time, wasn't it? Yeah, Boxing Day, Tim Crump's on the phone. I thought, buy me. Stars have all aligned. There we go. So that's where we, uh, we started working together. And it was interesting that you said that when you started, you were building barn-style houses and... Uh, up here in Hereford, we built the more infill tradition, as we would call it, the traditional style, English style house with the infill panel. I understood the repair of infill panels and most of the customers in the self-build market who were coming to us would like a, requested an infill paneled house. Now, this is the one thing, here we are in 2021, how the self-build industry has developed. When we started, we found that we were building a traditional infill panel house, English eight-shaped manor or a cottage, the picture, picture of a chocolate box, yeah. oak frame cottage, infill panel. That was our stock in trade. That's what we built as oak rights. And I think companies up in this part of the, the world, that's what we built. You were building barn-style yeah. houses. And we were absolutely never going to build an infill paneled house. Absolutely never. We were persuaded to do one, and I can remember the uh, MD of the company at the time writing a letter to the architect saying, the opening line was, the one thing we'll guarantee is that this will leak. And five years later, it was still leaking. Yes, well. It was built in a ridiculously exposed elevation over a valley in Kent of all places, with, you could almost see the sea, and they built it to a design based on Freddie Charles's book on conservation. Ah, yes. And it, it, it just didn't work. It was amazing. Well, that was a, that was a pity. Now, the infill panels, wonderful. We, we worked very hard. I think we worked together, didn't we, on yeah. the, on the, the so with, with Trada on developing an infill panel that would not leak and meet all the Trada requirements and uh, the requirements for insurance and for building warranties building warranties that's right took a long time but we got there and a great panel system which we still use to this day for the traditional infill paneled house the interesting thing is that when we first met we were building i would say probably about 
it would be about 80%, 85% would be of our houses would be the the infill panel yeah. and customers would come and it would be how much oak they could possibly have within the house. Whereas now, I would say, we probably only build about 10% would be infill, if that, probably 5%. It is completely moved to the panel system wrapping around the outside of the oak frame. And I think that's with people's more understanding of the requirement of air tightness, insulation, and then the actual volume of oak within the houses. That now is probably about 30% of what we ever used to put it into a house. And that is the desire of, of the self-built customer and the look of it is more appealing, temporary. I, I can always remember when we started, we would actually stain our oak frames quite dark. Was a, and we would, would stain it with a darker brown. Dark oak would be a color we would stain. The, I mean, we would be horrified now. We would we? Be horrified. I, I think now it is almost... Um, even the building that we're sitting in is our, is, our, is our show home, which has been here for 13, 14 years now. Even this is slightly darker than what we would build our frames. Now, now we build a frame and it's a natural. Uh, we leave the oak a natural colour. We clean it uh, or the cleaners come in after we've finished and we'll oxalic acid or sandblast the frame and, and that will take it to a natural uh, colour. So it's natural colour, which is like the natural honey colour of oak, which is yeah. quite... So it's interesting to see how the self-build market has developed and where oak frames fit within that market. We still do get the big eight-shaped manor. Each year we build some absolutely you beautiful know, houses. The number not... that we build is more or less exactly the same. It's the volume of everything else that's gone completely through yeah, the roof. I suppose it is, yes. But this this particular building, this is your third attempt. And you this is what you... Tim built this building because working from five till nine, and I mean that literally that way around, didn't seem quite enough because there wasn't anything to do on weekends. So he was up here building this. This is the third refinish of this. It is indeed, yes. It was built, it was built on the on the weekends. If the, if the rugby wasn't on, I think yes. if it wasn't in rugby, <laughs> then I'd, I'd, I'd build the build the house. So it's been a, it's been a great experience so with the and, and where we are now and where we see the future. Really, we have just ordered an, uh, our third Hundega machine which will be arriving this September, very excited. We've also built a, a panel building shop, which for our customers now we see that years ago, what I find quite amazing is the difference between a set of building regulations years ago and a set of building regulations and what is required um, for building regulations. And it is years ago, self-built, you could literally go onto site and virtually self-build a, a house. Whereas now I think the, the demand of the detail by the um, building regulation requirements is so great that we find people need more, more service, more product, the more we can give to a project. So we've moved from, when we started, it was just an oak frame. Yep. We gently moved to an oak frame and a panel system, moved to an oak frame and a dry shell, and then now we really are, when customers will ask us, we can build the whole house all the way through. And, and that is, I think it is not because the desire is not there for people to actually do as much as they can themselves, but just the complexity of where we are now and the requirements of the building regulations, where people have that desire, some will still go that direction. But for many people, they realize it would be easier for us to carry out the whole process. It's also, yeah, it's also much less stressful. And the number of times, um, Coming, having had the same experience, we show up on site. We are the glory boys. We put the oak frame up. 
Three days later, we're all drinking champagne and nailing the bow to the apex of the frame to appease the wood gods. Um, but topping out. Topping out. Which is still good fun to do. It's still, and they still do that in the States as well. And you have, um, you know, the client will bake a cake and it'll all be absolutely fantastic. And then we go, boom, there's a structure there. And they're still living in their mobile home. And they're still wearing wellies to get from anywhere to anywhere on their site. And it's in the middle of winter. It's pretty grim. So we just kept pushing to do more and more. And it was to do more and more of the house that we could do here in our nice, dry, warm workshops, which allow us to make everything to a much better standard. Because if you're employing a carpenter on site in February and he's going to make your dormers for you in situ, He's not going to be a happy bunny. He's going to be wet, cold, miserable, and and trying to trying to tape it up and make it airtight. It's just a big ass. I always remember where that came from, really, when we started, because we we prefabricate our dormer windows now in the workshop. So we not only build the panel, but we sort of set the dormer window or wherever the dormer window is on the roof. We set a panel central to that point, so that the dormer window can be constructed literally on the panel. And when we send that out uh, on the lorry, it goes out to site, and the dormer window is is fully built. But that came about when I remember one of the teams returning from a, a project up on Anglesey. And talking to, it was Sasso was the, was the foreman and talking to Sasso, a good, really good chap and a uh, great carpenter. And the project had run over and I said, Sasso, you know, what, what, what's gone wrong? What happened there? He said, well, how many days do you think on that project that it, um, he didn't say it did rain. He said, how many days do you think of that project that it didn't rain? He said, well, how long were you there in total? He said, six and a half weeks. I said, wow, okay. I said, well, I don't know. Did it, did it rain half the time you were there? He said, no, the whole time we were there, it didn't rain for two days. Otherwise, it, it either gently rained, it drizzled, or it poured down. And on that particular house, they had six dormer windows. And he said, the dormer windows just took ages to construct because of the, the, the weather. And it just was not conducive to being able to build dormer windows. So it was that moment we thought, well, hey, we should build the dormer windows onto a panel and build the whole roof in panel sections and send the roof panelized, built in the workshops where all the insulation is installed, all the membrane is on, everything's taped. So when you get to site, you lift the panels on, the dormer windows constructed, and that and that's what we do now. So another development. So where the style of self-build has changed slightly to being more as we would call country contemporary post and beam uh, wraparound system of the of the insulated panels and so the stars move from the more traditional to that style of house also our production has moved more from just the oak frame to into as much prefabrication as we can really work into a project which is bespoke we must remember that every house we build is bespoke so we have these processes and systems which really would be great for building the same house over and over again but the one thing we don't do is build same the same house, house over and over again ever <laughs> we have a uh, we have a, a standard garage which you supposedly could just buy and four years ago about two years after we introduced it we'd built 205 variants it it is quite incredible when you think a a two-bay garage how many variations of a two-bay garage can there be 
It is just phenomenal. It goes on. But that is the, that is the industry we're in. And I think that is the strength of the company. We have the design teams who love designing oak frames, designing the panels. They're, they're very passionate. And, and that links into being bespoke. It's, it's what keeps everybody's... Um, Oh, everybody's creative juice is flowing, I Absolutely. suppose, isn't it? And, uh, and it, it, it does reflect on the self-builder. The self-builder who wants an oak frame has got a pretty definite idea of what she or he wants. And they, they come to you and they're not really interested in something off the shelf or something that someone else has had. They want their own variation. Now, shortly after arriving at, at, um, at Oakwrights, I was... Uh, I think Tim and Nick were both out visiting clients and someone just, a walk-in, just turned up in reception. So I was talking to them and all the rest of it, talking about costs and savings and stuff like that. And um, we used to have a book of plans in those days and they look, had been looking through it while they'd been down in reception. They come and say, well, how much would be like, how much would this one be? And I said, well, that one went for, look it up. And they said, oh, great, oh, we'd really like that. And I said, well, the great thing about it is because it's one we've done before, we can reduce it by 10% because all the design work, and there's 10% is the cost of the design work in a building, generally speaking, because we've already got it in a cabinet over there. There'll be a CD and it'll all be on there. And we can just put it straight into the machine and make it. Great, that's fantastic. Absolutely thrilled. Uh, can I move this door? <laughs> no, you can't move the door because this CD becomes worthless. We've got to start again. And that is the concept. And actually, I come to embrace the fact that these people want what they want. And they just are very clear and they want to do it. And we just make sure that we, wherever it's structurally possible, they get well, I think with oak framing and, and the self-build, well, the self-build magazines, let's look at the self-build magazines. If we... Each, and I know that we are oak framers, we build oak frames, but when you get the magazines, I always, I do strongly feel that the best looking case studies in there are the oak frames. It's when you see the oak frame there, the, and I think that's where the oak frame fits within the self-build market. You are creating your dream, your own dream. But the wonderful thing is I think that oak is a tactile material. It tends to almost live with you. And we're building a frame, and back to what you said earlier, when you started off as a tradesperson, you wanted to build something that would last a minimum of 120 years. And the great thing we know is that with our oak frames, that when we, when we build them, they're going to stand for at least three or 400 years. And that is, there's nothing more satisfying, I don't think, as a, as a tradesperson, as a craftsman, to stand back and see you've built a frame and you know that frame will be there for at least three or 400 years with good yeah. foundations and a good roof. And there's another, another part of it again, which goes back to our conservation days when we, um, you were working on your lovely Herefordshire cottages and we were conserving barns a lot mm. of the time <laughs> and uh, sometimes moving barns, which is great fun. I mean, I think a lot of it about being an oak framer is it's fun. It's a fun thing to do, but you move a barn or you work on a barn and I've lost count of the number of barns I have gone to, which then turn out to be two barns joined end to end because the English always make their barns for hundreds of years, 20 feet wide. So you can quite happily, as long as the pitches are approximately right, you can just join them end to end. And then when they, you know, 
it's not always immediately obvious. And then you sort of think, well, I wonder if this was the same carpenters who did this. And sometimes it's plainly not. And, and there's, there is one 10 or 15 miles from here that we did that was a huge barn that was joined end to end. And that is a function of the reusability. And oak frames, we've even had examples where people have um, taken them down because they didn't get the necessary planning permission before they decided to put it up. I think it did happen once, didn't it? <laughs> it happened once. did happen once. There are some stories. <laughs> you always try to advise people, and sometimes you can give you give your best advice, and whether it's always taken is another question. That was a... But it did get sold, didn't it? It was sold. Yes. That frame was sold yeah. on then, and I think they did okay out of that. They just didn't have their beautiful big sunroom that they, they had created. And when I say big sunroom, it was a huge, huge. sunroom. Mega. Um, but there we go. That was a, a, a another story. And um, so where are we going in the future? Where's the self-build industry going and what do we think's next? Yeah, so I, think you, it's, I think it's just going to keep growing because it's almost, uh, it's a reaction to the volume house builders who are, you know, they finally got to the stage where cost is just the most important thing. How can we get an extra buck out of this? How can we cram more space into it? Um, now, you know, people are living in the roof spaces. A lot of it is, is good. A lot of it is not quite so good because it's completely cost-driven. Well, the bizarre thing when you mention, you mentioned developers there, but more of our, I mean, when we first started, it was very, very okay. And possibly it would be because of a sheer volume of oak in the house would be so great that it just would not really work as a development project. But actually now about 20% of our work, if not more, is for developers. And that, I think, could be the country contemporary style, as we call it, where it's a yeah. post and beam frame inside. So what we're really doing there, I think, is giving the look and the flavour and, yeah. and the wow factor, but without that sheer volume of oak. Absolutely. And um, it used to be that, a lot of the houses we built were for developers, but they were for the developers to live in themselves. They yeah, were not. Absolutely. Yes. How you know, many times almost, have we done that? Oh, possibly 40%. It was crazy, wasn't it? Absolutely. All the big H-shaped manors would seem yeah. to be for a developer, wouldn't they? But developer would be building track housing or whatever, but his, his own house for him and his family, they would have a lovely H-shaped oak frame manor house, which was uh, quite uh, interesting. And the bizarre thing is we had such a good relationship with so many of them as well. You know, they were really good. good but people. now it's sort of gone on where we are building the actual houses that they, they, that they sell. They've yeah. seen that there is a... Uh, a value in the oak frame and so the oak frame will go into the development house and and they'll gain a bit more money which makes it more desirable uh, for the for the project when they're when they're selling it so that's a, a development which over the last 22 years i think i've noticed has, has increased and then i think the other is that the style of the housing and as we go forwards into the future i think there is custom build isn't there which whereas yes. we've been i suppose historically we're known for building quite large, complicated, one-off houses. But where is the development, where the future, I think, is we're now finding with custom build, which is where we're creating the serviced building plots and where more people can afford to buy a plot. It's got the services. So rather than historically, our house would have probably started around about the 3,000 square foot mark. And now we're finding we're building beautiful little cottages and small barn houses starting at around about sort of 1500 square foot up to about 2000 2500 square mm -hmm. foot really attractive houses onto a, a decent sized building plots and that is the growth 
market as I see it, and, and I think is actually happening because is the custom build market. Yes. That's a great, great yeah. thing to see. More people getting onto the oak framing ladder earlier in their in their housing career as such. I always think that custom build is a slight misnomer because of, again, my time in the States where custom building is custom building in the same way that you'd custom build a car or anything else. But it is a really good venture brought in by the, the governments, not necessarily this one, the previous one, whereby if you have a big plot of land, you can apply for planning permission to do a custom build, which makes it a lot easier, not, not totally, it makes it a lot easier to get planning permission right. And you put in, you divide it up, you put in the roadways, the access, you put in the electricity, the gas, the water, the sewerage connections, and then you sell the plots off individually to people and they get a service plot. So they don't have all that grief Believe me, there's quite a lot of grief involved. It's sort of um, ready to eat. Absolutely. It's a ready meal. It there you are. And then we'll put a house on it. And then it's it's and it, it goes back to something that was much more frequent when I was a child. You'd notice people would be building their own houses and going down the traditional route, not necessarily self-building, but building their own houses, was it called, you hired an architect, you engaged an architect, and you got a builder and you built a house. And then we move quite rapidly to these developments and everyone's developing. Big developments, big tract housing, small developments, little bijou, little niche, four or five houses and stuff like that. And it has, to my personal opinion, a very negative effect on the built environment and where you live. And it's just thinking, well, it should never have been allowed because there's no, there's no money being spent on the, the quality of it, the design of it, it's the embellishments. It's interesting, isn't it, when we go to Germany, you see a different sort of process there, isn't it, where every village has, has to have so many plots available for anybody who lives in the village or works in the village. So where we go and buy the Hundegger plot, it's in a village. Yeah. You can see the Alps in the distance, beautiful village. Everybody just cycles into work because they live in the village absolutely space age factory on the edge of the village but everybody lives in the village across the road from the factory are the farm buildings of the cattle that are being fed by Hans Hundegger's brother who's still a farmer in the village yes. and that's we don't seem to get here um, so that, that's quite interesting but I think with the custom building as we are finding it is to go out to the villages we can find the sites now and create those small little hamlets of housing of five or six probably up to a maximum of 10 or a dozen and of, of homes individual homes and we can work with the customer to bes make a bespoke home of a smaller scale than what we are used to but i'm finding it really great fun i really find it good fun turning these small sites into quite interesting little hamlets of, of homes within a village and helping to enhance the villages and I, I think that is the future and really very excited about it absolutely there is one area which i haven't managed to spend enough time investigating but there is i'm seeing more and more and hearing it when i go um when we used to be able to travel and you can go to the uh, Timber Framers Guild conferences in the US of A about the very positive effects on people's well-being, their mental health, their physical health of living in a timber frame structure. We call it oak frame structure because we just build in oak, whereas in 
in other parts of the world they're building anything anything that grows and there's stuff coming through from various universities and stuff like that about trying to sort of measure or or, 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 or clarify or be able to record what these positive things are but the feedback from the clients is all you really need people just say how much they love it and what the atmosphere is and stuff like that the physical health aspects come from the breathable walls and um, air handling systems that allow you to put in pollen filters and stuff like that but it's the mental health well I they find, just make you happier yeah i here at the show home this is about 13 14 and we we sometimes say we need to build a new show home must build and we are going to be building a new show home on the site down by our offices but whenever i come here i walk in and if i'm on my own i sit down on the sofa i think this just feels so calming. It feels so relaxing. And I, I think, wow, this would be a wonderful place to live. I don't live in this house, but I would love to live in this house. It is that warm, it creates a good feeling. I look around at the oak frame and the atmosphere it creates, and, and, and it's wonderful. So there we go. That, I think, Bill, is bringing us to the our history possibly just a just a, a, an overview of where we see the oak framing within the custom build and the self-build market going it's been great talking to you we've been together for a long time within the industry and this is our first podcast this is right. where it's all going um this is the the starting podcast episode one i am going to be talking to all sorts of people going forwards so if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to find out more about where oak framing fits within the self-build market and how oak framing can help enhance your self-build project, please follow or subscribe and you will see many more uh, podcasts coming forwards.